You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to episode 19 of That's Awesome Podcast. I'm your host, Joe, and I am solo this week. Josh and I have not been able to line up schedules, unfortunately, but we are still talking every day, and he is still plugging away, so make sure you say hi to women on, our so- on all of our socials and stuff like that. Uh, very quick intro. Um, I don't have much news to share. Um, we'll just dive straight into the actual content of the episode. This week, uh, we had the remaining member of Ice Nine Kills on, the last person to complete the puzzle, Spencer Charnas. Uh, Spencer, uh, this was, I had so much fun recording this episode, not only because, you know, Spencer and I are close and everything, and it's always just fun talking about stuff, but also, it's the first time that even Spencer and I have really chronologically, like, dove into this band's 20 year history and kind of heard like the extreme highs and the extreme lows even early on and you know i i have always found the ice nine kills story even before i was in the band kind of inspiring because they were a band just that just never gave up and and overcame adversity so many times um and and ultimately ended up where they are or where we are now which is uh i think something that you know, especially for Spencer, having chased being in a in a band like this for for twenty something years is is finally paying off, and and he's seeing the the work uh, or the success uh, with that that he's put in through the years and everything. So, um, I hope you guys find it interesting. I thought it was great. Uh, for those of you that have heard that are in the throne chat, you've heard and watched Josh and I make. The new theme song it's not quite ready yet for the podcast but it will be probably uh in the next couple of weeks it's just off being mixed and mastered right now so you'll hear that soon too uh anything else hmm. i don't think so let's just yeah let's just head over to the interview 
Hey, dude. It feels good to be here. How does Thank it feel? you. Thank you for having me, Joe. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Look, you're the you're last the person from the band to be on. Um, and I've referenced about the band quite a bit in the podcast. Yes. And I think I've told like bits and pieces of stories from like the history of the band and everything. Right. Personally, for me, even before I was part of the band, um, I found the Ice Nine story to be like, like a great success story and just like something that I was always rooting for to happen. Um, just because, you know, our band, my old band, Ice Nine came up. You know, you know, within, within the, the same, same scene, scene around, around the same, same time, and we were both shooting for the same thing. So well, I think I it'd think be cool be... to kind of go through. It's a long um, history, but just like the like abridged the... version of the history of the band. You're one of the only people I've ever known that's only been. It is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think I think I've think met, met like maybe two or three people, and for someone to take a band, band from like what was it, middle school or high school? Yeah, I formed uh, the band freshman year of high school. Yeah. The yeah. band Ice Nine. And, yeah. that's, and that's like, like I think of my freshman year band, band. and like there's no way that I could yeah. ever. It was called uh, Voluptuous Ant Farm. Oh, yeah. You guys were pretty big in Belgium. Yeah, pretty big in Belgium. Good following. But it was never like I could not imagine taking that and like sticking with that group of people and like just pushing that for the rest of, I mean, up until now. So I think it's like a unique story and I think it'd be cool to kind of hear like the ups and downs and like, yeah. were there times that you didn't think it was going to work or like the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I think that it's sort of a testament to my personality and it's like, there's pros and cons of that kind of tenacity. Yeah. I, I've seen it not work too, which is why right. I think it's so cool. So, you know, my, my parents used to say you're relentless Spencer. Like I wouldn't give up. Like if I wanted to see a certain movie or I wanted a paintball gun, yeah. I just wouldn't give up. And they said, fine, you're relentless. But I think my sort of stubborn nature didn't allow me to quit, uh -huh. you know, and want, and wanted that band and that name ice nine to work. And I kind of refused to believe that it wouldn't. So it, it, it could have gone terribly right. wrong. Yeah. And obviously it did go not wrong, but it, it wasn't successful for a number of years. Uh, but eventually it started to work. So I think uh, that, that, is, that is right. It's a pretty interesting story. I, I totally think so. So let's start like at the beginning. Like what mm -hmm. I, I know the story and I know you talk about it a lot, but what got the band together? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how did the what was the first iteration of the band, and, and what was the direction, and all that stuff? Absolutely. Well, it actually started back at Tower School, which is in Marblehead, Massachusetts, and my love for for music came from seeing Nirvana. Like, I was obsessed with Nirvana. Yeah. And I think I was maybe in third or fourth grade, and I went to. Uh, the music festival it was called the arts festival, I think, at Tower, where it was uh, the different grades singing songs that they rehearsed, and also there was a band portion where uh, mostly the upper school, which was like seventh through ninth. So this grade. was like middle school. This is even yeah, yeah like middle okay. school, elementary school. Got almost. it. Got it. And I went one year, and I saw these. I think they were eighth and ninth graders up there playing in bands. That was the first time I ever saw people who were close to my age mm -hmm. playing. Yeah, and they were playing 
uh, one of them played an Offspring song, one of them played a Nirvana song, one of them played a Jimi Hendrix song, and I was kind of just blown away. Yeah. By, like, wow, these are like they're playing music that I actually listen to. Right, right. Because I got into uh, MTV very young. So like, you I were always into like rock shit, even at a younger age. Very yeah. young age. I was the kid who was like, you know, eight or nine, wearing a flannel to school. And, like, <laughs> bleach the front of my hair because I wanted to be like Kurt Cobain and I thought it was so cool that I had like a Nirvana patch on my right. backpack. Yeah. And that so is I saw cool to I be was like pretty under cool. ten and have a Nirvana patch. I was <laughs> definitely pretty cool. <laughs> the par- my friends' parents didn't find me very cool. I think they were worried about were me. Were you like a pain in the ass? Were you like I a trouble kid? I wasn't really a pain in the ass, but I think they saw me and they were like this kid is like dressing like he's in high school and he's like seven or something. So I, I kind of slowly got all my friends into that kind of music mm-hmm. and, and uh, would bring in the new cool band. And so I saw that arts festival. I was like, okay, next year I am going to stop talking. So after that arts festival experience where I was impressed by my peers, a little bit older than me, playing songs that I loved. I said, next year when this arts festival comes along, I'm going to have my own band and we're going to perform. So I got with my friends uh, in my grade. Uh, you know, one of the kids played drums, one of them played guitar, one of them played bass. And the next year, we played at the arts festival, and I think I was in fifth grade, and I actually still have a video of the performance, which is pretty crazy. Wait, wait, you played a show in fifth grade? Yes. What What were you doing? I was playing guitar. And you had a full group of people in fifth full grade group. that all knew how to play instruments? Yes. That's crazy. It was crazy, and uh, it was like something that I looked forward to like for so long during the year. We practiced every day at our drummer Jordan's house, and we played... Dive by Nirvana and uh, Tomorrow by Silverchair. And I okay, still have the video it. of it. I posted a picture of it like re- pretty recently on Instagram and Facebook where like, you know, the Yamaha Pacifica guitar is like twice the size of me. Yeah. And I'm wearing a flannel and I think a Spam t-shirt. That's amazing, yeah. Uh, so we played there and I just remember that when we played, it was like the crowd was like going wild. Everyone was like, oh, these kids are so cute. They're playing Nirvana and like that's sick. Silver Chair. And they're like, how old are these kids? Yeah. And uh, I think that sort of got the. That's the bug. That's the bug. Right the there. entertaining bug. Yeah. And uh, I think the next year. Uh, was that I, like a band? Like, did you guys call yourself a we band? Were, I believe we were the Electric Pancakes, is what we started out <laughs> as being called. So that's the earliest one I've heard so far. Very fifth early. grade is the earliest I've heard of anyone. Having. It might have been fourth, but I think that's, that's it insane. might have been fourth grade. And uh, I still, two of the guys, uh, I still keep in touch with all of them, but two of the guys are like still like very good friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Like, a, you know, with the best man at one of their was weddings. It, um, who, who was that? Uh, Jamie Wallace uh-huh. and, and Andrew Smith, Smitty. Got it. Yeah. Um, you know, like to the point where I'm in their wedding party. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, so you, it's like lifelong friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so the next year, um, I started talking to Jeremy Schwartz, who was two years ahead of me at Tower. We always kind of just were like, oh, he's pro- he's probably pretty cool. He listens to like Goldfinger and Blink and he knows punk bands. So uh, one day, for whatever reason, I was like, you know, let, let's jam sometime because uh-huh. he was a really good drummer. Um, at the time, and I just knew he was a good musician. So I went over to his house in Marblehead, 
and he was on the drums and I was on guitar and it was uh we were just like let's jam some blink and and I was so impressed that he knew like dude ranch like front to back uh, and he was playing guitar too right? he was playing drums oh I was playing guitar okay so I, was I like, didn't know he played drums yeah he was he was really good at the drums and huh. started off in the band as a drummer uh, lefty drummer, which is ah, always really open. funny. Oh, yeah. yeah, but he was like, I don't know, he just had this kind of swag. Yeah. So right there, we sort of connected, and I looked through his CD case, and it was just like all the stuff that I liked, um, and like some more obscure like punk ska bands, like Bucko Nine, yeah, or whatever. And um, from there, we basically started like a cover band where we would play at uh, parties, uh, at school events, and we we covered uh, like. Green Day, yeah. Blink, Goldfinger, uh, Phoenix. And I'm TX. so envious of that because when I was in middle school, like I, I had a friend's band, yeah, who actually ended up playing drums in Venetia Fair, and then went on to start that like music scoring company. Is wildly successful. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to middle school with him, and he was like, he was in the only band in the school, and they got to do everything. And I was like, I can't find anyone to do this with, and that's and all they I wanted let you to join? do. No, oh, no, I wasn't cool, cool enough for them. They were well, older. You have the last laugh. Yeah, there you go. You got the laugh. So, yeah, where were we? So, middle school, you were doing, like, school events. Right. So, we were covering things. I mean, we were playing, like... strictly covers. Strictly covers at the time. We played, uh, for for anyone from, like, the North Shore area, we played at, like, the Kernwood Golf Country Club (laughs) for someone's, like, pool party. Yeah. Like, we were doing that kind of stuff. We played my friend's graduation party. And that's what we did. We 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 just covered the bands that we love. We practice in my basement sometimes. We practice at Jeremy's house, and then uh, everything sort of changed freshman year of high school. I think it was like, well, it was. I know what date it was because it's tattooed behind my ear. Right, September twenty second, two thousand. Um, I went to a Goldfinger show at the Worcester Palladium. Important date for many reasons. I'd never been to the Palladium before. It was my first show I'd ever been to. Got it. Um, 14 years old. I'd heard about the Palladium, but I'd never been. And I'd never seen Goldfinger play. Uh, were they headlining been, that? They were headlining. It was um, Mest Dynamite Hack. If you oh my that God, band. I haven't heard that name in probably 15 years. Yeah, yeah they got crazy. some buzz with their cover of like Boys in the Hood or something like That's that. That's yeah. There were like uh, these white guys like singing um, a rap song, <laughs> but they, they, they took it from hip hop and made it like almost like folk yeah i remember that it was cool whatever me ish kind of yeah kind of like ironic self-aware and uh i had wanted to see goldfinger for a long time but it just never lined up they hadn't come to mass in a while or they were playing a show that was like 18 plus or 21 plus so i was really excited to go to the show and my friend doug and sam and i uh i think my dad drove us or one of their parents drove us to the palladium and it's so weird because the Palladium has such like a, an important part in the history of my love for music and my my love for uh, playing. Yeah, and uh, I think that's probably true for anyone from yeah the Northeast. A hundred percent. Yeah, that place it's always like that. had that scene, that vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it, I remember it so vividly. Walking in, and uh, there was a band playing. They looked like young guys. Like they didn't. They looked like they were in high school, kind of. And it was yeah. messed. And I, I hadn't like heard the name or something. But uh, I didn't know much about them, and I was like blown away. I was like, right. man, these guys are like playing like almost like Dude Ranch era, almost like a little bit like Punk and Drublick era, no yeah, effects, yeah, yeah. tied together. Right. And I, and at the time, like 
I always loved Blink, but you know, as like a snobby fourteen-year-old punk kid, I was like, oh, well, once I they like started everybody. getting mainstream, right. it wasn't as cool. Exactly, yeah. and like Newfound Glory was blowing up, and I loved all those bands. But at that time, I was like, man, I, you know, any anything yeah. after like before anything yeah. after Dude Ranch, bullshit. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh man, these guys are like they're doing everything I want. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was blown away by Mess. I was like, this band, I'm going to love this band. Right. Uh, Dynamite Hack played, uh, you know, it's not really my style, it was whatever. And then Goldfinger played, and I remember uh, the first thing that uh, John Feldman did, like, when the music kicked in, is he stage dove. And I'd never seen that before, especially at, like, a f- on a first song. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm trying uh, to put in my how old is Feldman at this point? Probably mid twenties. No, I feel like he's probably like about our age. Thirty-ish. Around probably like low thirty-three, thirty-four. Yeah. Okay. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah, that is. That's why I was trying to figure that out. And I think he was wearing a uh, like a Star Trek uniform. (laughs) I think he had the Spock ears. Yeah, they were real funny. I just I think the one time I saw them, aside from recently, I. Who was it that put the Twinkie in their asshole? Oh, Darren. The drummer would always get a Twinkie eaten out of his ass. By Feldman, wasn't it? <laughs> no. Anytime I saw it, they would call something. Maybe it was. I don't, I don't remember. And that was funny because I never would expect so many people to be stoked to eat something out of a sweaty drummer's That's ass. disgusting. It was disgusting. I don't, think they, I don't think they did it that show. I feel like I would remember it. I think it's something yeah. that they adopted a little bit later or whatever. They didn't have the ass eating that night. Right. <laughs> And uh, should have gotten your money back. I, I tried. Yeah. Um, but it was a crazy show, and uh, I had also never seen a band sound so tight. Like to me at the time, it was like this band sounds so tight. Right. Because before that, all those all the early punk bands or like the Warped Tour scene bands yeah. were always so sloppy. Yeah. It was like sick. Sloppy. Like that was what was cool about it. But, but it wasn't like you'd go to see a band and be like, wow, they're just great musicians. It was more exactly. about like the energy of it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And at the time, like the only concerts I had really been to were more like either radio rock shows. Like I had gone to the WBC and River Ray mm-hmm. for years. Um, I'd gone to see like the Family Values tour in an arena. I had been to some local no shows, club but, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was my one of my first times I was ever at like a, a smaller club show. Yeah. Even though the Palladium is kind of big for a club. Yeah, it's very um, big. So I remember they played Mabel, and uh, everyone or a lot of the audience got up on the stage. So you know, me and my friends getting up on the stage at like 14 years old. It was just, it felt like such a big deal. Like, it was like, oh my, I'm on stage with my favorite band. Right. And then um, John comes over to me. There's a part in Mabel where uh, he says, uh, I got to say that Mabel, she's the bomb. And he he put his arm around me and he he let me sing, she's the bomb. And I was like, dude, this is the coolest night of my life. (laughs) And then we met them outside uh, uh, and they signed our hat. Like, we had a, I got a Goldfinger hat, which I still have that they signed. I remember the, the drummer even like let. Uh, I think my buddy asked him for a swig of his beer. Oh really? Like, and the, and and he was so cool. He was like, yeah, there you go. And I was like, you're contributing to the delinquency of a minor, Darren. He's like, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so Darren, if you're listening, I, the statute of limitations is probably up. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so that, that night, um, I decided I'm gonna start writing my own music. And so the next day, I started writing what would become the first uh, Ice Nine song, which was She's the Same. It was like a very gold fingery, real big fish kind of ska song. Uh, Jeremy actually had gone to the show as well, okay. the Goldfinger show. Yeah. Um, and we were just like, dude, we got to do this. Like, this is what 
this is what we got to do. We got to write our own songs. We got to get a record deal. And that that's what started it. And I had from that day forward, I've ne I've like never thought about doing really anything. Else. Yeah. And then that was God. Two thousand. Like, yeah, two two thousand. So tw twenty years ago. So when was like almost to the day? It was like just oh, the right. anniversary was uh, just like last five week. days ago. Yeah. Oh, about a week ago. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. Um, nuts. So that's what was that? Twenty one years. So we can drink now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> so, yeah, almost. I think maybe next year will be 21. Um, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, cool. So, so you, that's when you started the band. Correct. Um, and this was, like, more of a ska direction, right? Like, ska, skate punk kind of exactly. shit, right? It was, like, Epitaph record scene, uh, all the ska bands uh, from Southern California. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of rich history with Sky in Boston too because of Mighty Mighty Bostones. Right, and they had kind of they were one of the first ska bands that Went really mainstream. exploded. Yeah, you know, with yeah. like a platinum album. Crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so then what, let's talk about the first Ice Nine show because I know that was a really important moment. Right. Yeah. So how long after was was the first show? The first show that you were playing originals and stuff. Right. Right. The the first show was um about a year later the first show was october 20th 2001 mm -hmm. and i know this because i looked it up recently because i wanted to make this post about that specific show and so from that goldfinger show through like the basically the next year leading up to the show we were working on originals mm -hmm. uh, we recorded um our first four or five song demo at my math teacher's house yeah from Tower, Mr. Mosier was our math teacher, and he was always like a cool kind of rock and roll guy who was. I had a music teacher named Mr. Mosier. Maybe he was the same guy. Huh. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Maybe he led a dub double life. <laughs> um, so we knew he had a, a recording studio in uh, Andover, like basically like right on the campus of that prep school. Uh, uh, Phillips. Phillips. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we spent, uh, time writing and like honing our first few songs and it all led up to this battle of the bands show that we got on at the Palladium at the same venue that, right. we, that I had seen Goldfinger at. It was called, uh, Exposure was the was name of the- Was that the motivation for even doing that battle of the bands was to play the Palladium? I, I don't, I, I just remember that. We thought the Palladium was cool, right? Because we we'd gone to that show and and probably gone to a few more shows there, um, since yes, yeah, yeah. since that night. And uh, I think somehow we saw the flyer being advertised. Maybe it was at Newbury Comics, or maybe it was uh, a record store somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, the the flyer just said, you know, looking for seeking bands, right? For battle of the bands. So we went to the Palladium for like a meeting, and we got these tickets to sell. I remember doing this too. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and we played the show uh, in October 2001. We, you know, all of our friends were so cool, so supportive. And, uh, you know, Worcester isn't like five minutes from Swampscott. No, where it's I far. Went to, it's like to an high hour, school. right? That's, yeah. yeah, about that, 40, 45 That's a minutes. lot, though, to ask people. Especially when they don't have license. Right, yeah, all the parents are driving out. Exactly. Yeah. So we played that show. We, got, we sold a lot of tickets. We really hustled. And we got like a great time slot. And we played the main stage of the Palladium, same stage that we saw Goldfinger on. And it felt like there were a lot of people there. Mm -hmm. Like maybe looking back, I don't know how many, but a few there hundred were pictures. people. It felt like a lot. And there were pictures of it that uh, 
um, I I've posted recently, so you can kind of look of it, look at it, and like Goldfinger, I I invited everyone on stage. Yeah. So there's this picture of us at the Palladium, and I was you know 14, 15 at the time, and all my friends are on stage, and all these kids that I don't know, you know, yeah, are on stage, yeah. and um. I don't know if it's true, but the way I remember it, we kind of stole the show. It just, it just, it just felt like people were like actually moshing when we played okay. and like skanking Energy. and shit. Yeah, and that's the way I'd like to remember it anyway. And this was you as a front man, just you, or was Jeremy it vocals was, as well? Jeremy was on drums and singing, and I was singing Got playing it. guitar. And how many people were in the band at this point? So at this point, uh, it was myself, Jeremy, our guitarist, Derek and our bassist Pat. And for one of the songs, we actually had um, my buddy Brian, who played uh, saxophone at the time, and uh, this other girl whose name escapes me, playing um, either trumpet or trombone. They were from the Swampscott High School band. Okay. And uh, they joined us on stage, which was pretty cool. That's sick. You, know? so it was you like had a, a horn section. We had a horn section. I'm concerned about the Instagram right now because it says there's a bad connection. I'm going to check awesome, on it. That's awesome, dude. I love bad connections. Typing is cool. Yeah. All right. All right. That will reconnect. So, I hope. So, yeah, you yeah, played the first show. Played the first show. It was every sort of, like, little milestone was another, like, fuel to the fire. Right. Like, oh, my God, we love this. Like, I think we got off stage, and there was, like, a lot of admiration from the people. Like, oh, my God, like, where can I get the demo? It just seemed like, wow, like, it's, like, this is starting to work. Right, right. And uh, basically, over the next three years throughout high school, it's 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 all we did. Right. We practiced so much at my at my um my mom's house in Swampscott in my basement. We would play so late at night, right, like on yeah. weeknights where the cops would get called <laughs> and my mom would have to deal with it. And I remember one time she was so fed up with it, uh, that she was like the cops came to the door and like you need to stop and she goes, You tell them. So oh, really? <laughs> so it was like eleven o'clock at night or eleven thirty and the cops came down and we were like because we didn't right. you know, see police <laughs> officers around. I don't know what kind of paraphernalia we had laying out at the time, but they were doing like the total good cop, bad cop. Oh, really? Like one cop was like, you guys need to get this under control. You cannot be blasting this kind of punk music at midnight on a school night. And the other guy would be like, so what's the name of the band? Yeah. Like just back and forth like that. Yeah, but they were really great. cool. And and my mom was was honestly really cool and put up with so much noise over the years. Oh, man, I it's same with my parents. Like I can't imagine. Cool. <laughs> like, yeah. It's gotta be a nightmare. Because they believed in right, us. Right, yeah. And they didn't want to squash our dreams. Mm -hmm. And my mom would make us cookies and bring down cookies, which was a nice treat for me. Because <laughs> I love cookies. Yeah, I can attest. Like Spencer asked for cookies. Every time he comes to the house. Yes, and there are no cookies. Yeah, there's never any cookies. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that whole process, th those years of high school were spent um, making press kits. Right, yeah. You know, the, the, the whole thing became, how do we get signed? So that was, it's interesting how that was, because I would always look at bands. It wasn't until, like, I got out of high school that I realized that, like, getting signed wasn't really, like, the goal. You know, but everyone yeah. just wanted to. I, I followed 
I don't know if people still do this, but do people do you think people still like follow labels? Because I would go on like label websites right. and listen to every single band on the roster. It used to be like that a yeah. lot more when drive through um, and uh, Victory. Yeah, I remember going Epitaph. on Victory had like a huge roster, and every band yes. page had a music video, and yes. I would watch every one. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was like it wasn't just the bands. It was about the label. It was like a a, a movement and. Back in those days, label compilations were so Huge. important because you Huge. discovered your favorite bands through those. Mm-hmm. You know, I found about found out about so many bands through those label um, compilations. Yeah. And I feel like that whole vibe, um, that sort of camaraderie and that piggyback, piggybacking of like, all right, Newfound Glory blow up, blew up, let's get starting line on the next tour right and then starting line blows up and then they take early november and i wish there was more of that it doesn't seem like there's really that camaraderie even the like you know warp tour is gone now too and i remember being younger and that being like dude that's got to be sick like you're just i don't know how many hundred people that all have the same mindset and are just like hanging out and partying and stuff but like that's gone now too. <laughs> you I know, know man. I mean, there's, there's still, still a lot of, lot of like camaraderie and stuff. But I do miss that like mentality. I mean, it could just be a mindset that I had like coming into it. But I miss the idea of like, oh, this this is like a team. Like your label is yes. like your team, right? That that those were the days for me. Yeah. And I think you know, it's not only just on the bands. I think that the labels oh, totally. were more active in that. Um, streaming kind of makes it hard to do like the label focus like compilation yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I and, guess they're playlists right, now. Right, yeah. But um and it, you you brought up Warp Tour. So the pinnacle for me, the two two pinnacles at those at that time was getting uh, a label, right. getting signed and that was, and was playing that Red, Warp Tour. Red Blue was the first one, right? That was the first one, but that came <laughs> mid- way Right, later. right, right, right. So what I would do is I would research all these things about oh, okay, like all right, how did Mess get signed? Okay, Mess gave a de- demo to Feldman, and he got them signed. Story of the year and the used. And how did uh, these drive-through bands get signed? Because drive-through is like the pinnacle for me right, too. Yeah, that was like that, that, that was the number one mm-hmm. label to get on. And so these were the days of like physical press kits when I would go to Staples and buy these folders yeah. and put our sticker on the front of the folder and you open it up on the left side. There's the bio on the right side. There's the 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 um the promo shot so crazy. and the physical CD. And we did that for a long time. And uh, I have this journal that I still have where like I would log in all the shows we played. I would log in every demo I sent, you know, and we sent them to fearless and, See, and I, drive through. I wish I shit. even knew that shit back then. Cause I didn't, I was, I was like obsessive with it. Yeah. And, and I, I wasn't going to stop until it happened. And I expected to, for the, uh, the offers to come pouring in, and needless to say, they did not. <laughs> um, but it is kind of a funny story that that I have told before. That recently, when I was looking through all the archives of stuff I've kept over over the years, I found uh, a rejection letter from Fearless Records. Oh, did you really? Which uh, you know, they weren't mean. They That's were just funny. like, yeah, it was just like one of those things where it's like we're not interested now, but keep on trying. Here's did a everyone sticker. send rejection stuff, or did they just no, most people I, just? Nothing. I think v- Victory and and Fearless were the only ones I remember uh, getting, which was kind of which was cool. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because it means they knew you're on the radar. Yeah, right? they just, at, least, at least acknowledge it and saw the name and all exactly. that. Exactly, yeah. like it just made made you feel like you were doing something. Um, and I've recently 
you know, told Bob um, Becker, who started Fearless, about that story, and he just, man, he got a kick out of that. He's like, I probably sent you that one. Yeah. You know, because he used to send them out back That's in the really day. funny. Um, so what year was this when you were kind of pushing this stuff? So this was 2000, I want to say it was probably 2001 through 2004 was like So this is like high school era. for you, just this whole high, high school. High school, uh, another big thing every week, um, WBCN, which was like the, you know, the, the pinnacle rock, rock radio station in Boston other than AAF yeah. and FNX. And they would, they would do something on Sunday. I think it was called like sunday emissions or yeah, something like late that night emissions with angela or something i i know what you're talking about and, and they would play uh local bands that people would be able to vote on which song which band they wanted to hear and we won a bunch of times which was really cool to hear ourselves on the right. radio um very cool and uh yeah i mean from from there the madness so that, really began so that was high school was just kind of like learning the industry yes. getting your foot in the door Mm -hmm. Did you immediately following high school or like even leading up to the end of high school, did you know like next step is taking this on the road like full time or was there kind of like a lag period that everyone kind of got on board with? Well, I, I was ready to go right out of high school to start touring. I didn't care about college. I just I didn't I didn't care at all. But, I, you know, my parents wanted me to go, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. um, and the other guys like Jeremy. um was ahead of me a couple years and he was at Berkeley at the time. And, and that's towards the end of high school is when we found our, um, our new drummer grant. Mm -hmm. and he was amazing. drummer, yeah. And, uh, he, he, um, responded to a flyer that we put up oh, at really? Berkeley college oh, cool. of music. Um, but I wanted to go, I probably would have just dropped out right away and started touring, but the other guys wanted to finish school. So I, I were they all older late. than you? Um, at the time it was, so Grant and Jeremy were older than I was and right after, right towards the end of high school, beginning of college is when my good friend Hobie joined right. to play bass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was originally going to another college, but something happened and he had to, uh, take classes like locally and he was, uh, he, he had gone to tower with me. Okay. And he w went to uh, Philip Sandover. So he joined the band, and um, we basically, you know, played. That's when we started playing a ton of, of local shows. Yeah. Like, we played as much as we could in high school. I remember there were um, shows in uh, Swampscott and Marblehead, and we tried to get in with the booking guy, and they really cool guyed us. It kind of broke our spirit. Like, they wouldn't put us on. We didn't understand why people didn't Was like it like us. a local promotion company, or was yeah, it some, it was, like, dude out of No, Virginia? it was like a local promotion company, yeah. and it was just, Those like, guys heartbreaking, were like, man. They were the kings of the scene back then. They were. And, you know, <laughs> they were booking a church and wouldn't let us play. Right. Was, to, you know, to, to 17, 18-year-old me, I was like, I didn't understand it. And um, I think that, that was, like, one of the first times, like, rejection kind of set in. Mm -hmm. And um, the other re uh, big rejection that kept happening every year is that we would never get chosen to play the the Warp Tour Battle of the Bands. The Ernie Ball thing? Yes. yes. Yeah. So Ernie Ball um, had a small stage on Warp Tour where every day— It's like the fold-out of the truck one. Yeah. 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 The really small stage, but they would give local bands an opportunity to play. So you submitted your demo you know, sometime in the winter, and um, a panel— yeah. Based of, uh, be, uh, I guess, was in music industry professionals yeah. would choose a few bands from each place. Mm -hmm. And we submitted and we never won. That was always a huge thing, too, because there were 
it, it not only was just to play Warp Tour, you got entered into an even bigger pool mm-hmm. to then go perform in LA as like yes. a showcase. And there have been bands that have had careers just from that experience. Yes. You know, so that was definitely. I remember even submitting my show. I never got picked for it, but we we submitted every year too. Yeah, it was like one of those things where you see, you're like, maybe this is like our back door in, yeah, back door way in, yeah. And uh, I think it was two thousand, two thousand five or six, and I just like had had it. Like we got rejected again. I think I was like borderline in tears, and I went to my mom. I was like, I don't get it. Like what? Why are we? Are we just not good? And I wrote this email to the guy at Ernie Ball. And I wasn't mean. I was just like, we're just trying to figure it out, man. Like, we want to do this so bad. Like, what are we doing wrong? Yeah. And the guy responded to me. He was literally one of the guy, like, Ernie Ball family. Yeah. And he was super nice. He said, no, man, like, I I listen to your band. You guys are really good. You guys got a lot of potential. Like, don't give up. Keep in touch with me. I was like, wow, that was really cool. That's cool. And so I think it was like a month later, he emailed me. He's like, hey, dude, like, one of the bands can't play. The Massachusetts date at Gillette. Do you guys want on? I was like, Yeah, and that definitely yeah. would not have happened if you didn't reach out. No, no it that's wouldn't sick. Have. That's so that great. was like that was like one of the first things where I realized, like, hey, you know, you putting the work in it. And yeah, it, happened. it also is just like shot in the dark stuff. Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's also not it's being like a shitty person about it yeah. too. Like you can easily get butt hurt about stuff 100%. and be like, oh, that band sucks. That got picked. And I definitely would say that when everyone's back. <laughs> right, right. But I wouldn't put that in the email. <laughs> right, right. Um, so that was a big thing for us. We got to play. Uh, of course, you know, our dreams were a little bit um, shot when we got the last slot on the stage while Thursday was playing on the main stage. And at the oh, time, yeah. Thursday. So, like, you know, very, I want to say, like, probably like 10 kids watching us. So it was definitely <laughs> like, woo, bam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, we got but up and we got to play. That's something to put on your. Yeah. Your EPK even, right? Yes. Yeah. And those are the things we were looking for. Like, you know, we played Warp Tour. and Those are the things you put in emails to promoters mm-hmm. and record labels. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we just, after that, we... Uh, what year was that? So I want to say that was 2005. That's when uh, you played? Maybe 2006. Okay. Yeah. Was, and, and it was at Gillette? It was. Okay. Yeah. I never went to years. a Warp at Gillette. Yeah. yeah I, I think they started doing Was that doing the 10, like, 10 year? Well... well for those of you who aren't from Massachusetts, um, Gillette was originally Foxborough Stadium where right. the Patriots play. I think, uh, is it even still called Gillette? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Gillette was kind of a, a big deal for people from New England. Because right, because it was always at, where was it before? Like, I know sometimes they did it at the Fitchburg, like, yeah, race airport. Tra- airport, right. Well, when I first went to Warp Tour, it was so convenient because it was at Suffolk Downs. Right, I went to that one too. Horse racing, or do- horse racing, was- right? Dogs. And dog. A dog was across the street. Maybe you're right, yeah. So uh, that was like down the street from where Joe and I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, super, super quick drive. Yeah, yeah, super quick. So this was, uh, this is when you had kind of turned more into like almost post-hardcore-y, like more emo yeah. kind of rock stuff, right? Yeah, yeah so throughout uh, high school, throughout college, obviously our taste started to expand. Um, uh, never abandon any of the punk or ska influences because you know we were never like oh that old shit's terrible or anything i liked all that stuff Mm -hmm. i just started listening to heavier music too um i think honestly a lot of the gateway was through drive-through because they were pop punk label but then they signed finch and they signed census got it yeah and that was like the gateway to Mm -hmm. 
you know, all the other bands that are like Thrice and Thursday and some of the like, le- I guess, lesser accessible yeah, bands like, of that ilk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And still to this day, like, I prefer, honestly, the more accessible stuff. No, like, I know. Um, I think you, you bring know, up Midtown like every oh, time yeah, I see you. Of course. Yeah. Like that, those, those kind of songs and those melodies, I, I learned so yep. much about songwriting. stuff. Yeah. Whether it's good or not. Right. Like in my, in, in my own music. Yeah. But those bands were good. Yeah. I, it's, I actually feel like when we write now, I hear you draw influence more from that stuff than even the heavier stuff that we listen yeah, to definitely now. like every time we're like oh let's do like a midtown up upbeat <laughs> yeah. part yeah. <laughs> stop before the chorus because right. that's what midtown always used right. to do um, um yeah, yeah. So, so so you were pushing that kind of genre having minor success stories with like kind of it, i i imagine this was like a point where you were like it feels like we're kind of just treading water well it, during that time there were there would be like little pockets of real excitement. Like right. there was a flirtation with Virgin Records. There was a flirtation with uh, the manager of Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, who at the time was all over the radio with a big yeah, hit single. Yeah. Um, uh, we were pushing our album. You know, we became a little bit more sophisticated about promoting ourselves, and we really, I think, we were really one of the first bands of that genre to really utilize MySpace mm. in, a, in a certain mm-hmm. way. You know, we had a regiment. Like, you know, I only, I scheduled all my college classes, so I would only be going to school two days a week. Yeah, so you could so focus I, on the all, yeah, yeah, so Wednesday and Thursday, I went from like 8 a.m. to 6. But Thursday through Tuesday, right. I had no classes. So I'd go back and stay in Swampscott at my mom's house, and Hobie was living in Marblehead at the time and com- commuting to like a local college. And um, we had a routine. He would come over and we'd spend the entire day, like eight yeah. hours, watching TV, each of us with a laptop, adding people on MySpace, going to bands that we thought were similar to us, and basically spamming the fuck out of them. Yeah, you know what's funny is I'm, I, I realized this maybe right before I joined Ice Nine that everything I had done for at least in the earlier stages of Venetia Fair was 100% modeled after what you guys were doing. Really? Yeah, That's because so you think funny. about it, like you guys signed to a lo- the local label that right. then my band signed to, and he, I think, adopted everything from you guys. I think so. It seems like extent. it, yeah. right? Like, I mean, he had his own things, he too. He was savvy, but, but, yeah. but we kind of showed him the way. I yeah, think. so I remember sitting there adding people on MySpace, yep. show trades. That's all it was. Yep, all that stuff. MySpace layouts. Um, oh man, I, and I I talk about that so much. I miss that. Me too. I, like, you MySpace... can really customize your shit, like give people a vibe. Yeah, yeah I mean, Facebook's band stuff. It sucks for music. It blows. Yeah, it blows. It doesn't have an identity, and yeah. that's probably honestly why Facebook uh, ended up superseding it because it was just like a cleaner right. layout, and people didn't want that shit. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, MySpace was an unbelievable tool, and we spammed the shit out of it, and it worked. We we were the top of the unsigned screamo charts, right? Post hardcore and the metal. So when when labels would look at it or anyone be, be looking for new bands, they would see Ice Nine, right? And was so that we, true for Pure Volume too? Were you guys yep. having a bunch of success there? Bunch of success. Mm-hmm. I think we had like a couple million downloads. Wow. Like my, my my whole strategy back in that day was let's put everything up there for free, mm-hmm. and so we got a lot of downloads. Yeah. And we were always towards the top, sometimes number one, right? It's um, funny because people still know those songs, like when they come to yes. shows. 
Yep. They know songs that I don't know. And me too. And I wrote them. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, that's what we did. And there were flirtations with Virgin. Virgin had us at their offices. Like we thought like, oh, maybe we're on the cusp. And you know, they would just kind of lead us on. But I I, I definitely remember being pissed off at those entities being, but in retrospect, it's like this guy probably wants to sign us. He just can't get the right, rest of the get label. Right, the team on board. Um, you know, Roadrunner came out and saw us at a, you know, a small place in New Jersey. So you were touring at this point. We were we were doing like weekend warrior stuff. Weekend warrior stuff. A lot of Connecticut, uh, some New York, a lot of bookyourownfuckinglife.org. Be right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. And then indie on the move. I don't remember. Oh, that you didn't one, use that one. That's great. Use that one. <laughs> um. But it just, we met with drive through um, and they were super nice to us. Like Richard had us at his house. Oh, wow. And uh, he put us on like a compilation, a pure volume compilation. Huh. And there was even talks, like this is when I really liked the heavier stuff. And he was like, we don't, we're not doing any more bands with screaming. Like they kind of had a fallout with, and since Fail and Finch, I think it just kind of soured and mm-hmm. the whole thing. So it's like, if you guys drop the heavy kind of side, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to be, something down the line. Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of the vibe. And. We just didn't kind of want to do that. Yeah. Um, but in retrospect, you know. I mean, who cares now? Yeah, who cares? But, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Drive Through is one of those labels that was super nice to right. us. You know? Yeah, and, that's and great. And I still talk to Richard and, uh, you know, tell him how many, how much uh, his golden ears influenced right, me. Right, right. Because, like, you know, I mean, they were Did you the always kings. have a relationship with him? Like, after that, was he kind of like a guiding person or anything? Uh, a, a little bit. You know, he would really give us advice. And uh, I remember he he hit me up, like, out of the blue, like, I want to say a year ago when he saw that we were, like, the number one selling merch band of, uh, uh, I don't know, all, like, mid-cap venue or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. via uh, At Venue, which right. is that. Yeah. At Venue is kind of like the sound scan of merch sales yeah. for touring bands. analytic and, stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we had gotten number one, and he just texted me. He's like, dude, that is so great, like so cool that That's you're still awesome. doing it. That's great. And I actually did funny. I texted him yesterday just about, hey, man, how are you? And he's just super nice guy. Um, nice. And, uh, yeah. Was, this the, was the burning out at this point? So, so, no. So, basically, we had those flirtations. We had put out an album called Last Chance to Make Amends. Right. That was our first official release that we, like, pressed. Right. You yeah, know, all I the have that stuff. CD. You do? Yeah. And and uh, do you have the last chance to make amends or last chance to make version? I don't. I have the last chance to make amends version because <laughs> there was a subsequent pre- a pressing where uh, the word amends was left out of the title of the album, so it just said last chance to make. <laughs> um, so that was you know us being brand new meets our early pop punk meets like boys night out sense. Yeah, of style. yeah, definitely had that boys night out feel for sure. And uh, I remember I got this guy uh, to do the art, and he turned in, like, these incredible photographs of this diner scene where there's, like, a slasher guy with a knife, and in the insert, there's, like, body bags. I was like, this, how, how, this guy did it for, like, cheap. He would go on to do Panic! at the Disco's first album art. What was that guy's so name? Caught, I can't remember what it was. I could, I could look it up, but... We we yeah. caught like a real like a, a kid who was probably in art school or something right. at the time. You were like, was like his intro project. Yeah, yeah. In- he was just like immensely talented. So we got like some like three thousand dollar layout for like four hundred. Yeah, that's or sick. something. Yeah. Um. So we put that out. We pushed the hell out of it on Smart Punk, uh, which um, at the time to be on like the Smart Punk charts as far as album sales, like 
for that Seos. scene that was big yes. that's like billboard for warp tour exactly yeah. so like seosin when they came out unsigned like they were the number one selling that was band. huge yeah uh, i remember translating that. the name yeah EP, yeah right? yep um so basically uh didn't get signed from anything a lot of flirtations um and then enter uh red blue which is a local label that um was willing to put out this album that we recorded in my basement called The Burning. Um, and from there, it was just like a lot of uh, sort of underground hype on MySpace. You know, we had a song called The Greatest Story Ever Told mm -hmm. that, you know, had like a, a catchy guitar riff yep. that I wrote, which was very Atreyu. Yeah. And uh, it had my, like a, a cool vibe to it. It was, I remember hearing that song and, because this is when I got like intertwined into the Ice Nine world. Yeah. It was about this time. Right. And that was a song. Shows with your band. Right, right. And that was a song that I was like, this is the only heavier band that I know of that has this like almost jazzy swing. Yeah. Weird, like it, it was heavy, but it had like this groove to it that I thought was, I always thought was super cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. But that, I remember that song in particular standing out. And that definitely was the song that kind of, Yes. yes amped it up for you guys amped it up totally uh, you know we were listening to um a, a lot of like bands like chiotos who and i think that you know he is legend bands that were doing the stuff that we love but they, they just felt like they were more risk-taking risk takers and i think though that was sort of what opened me up to wow let's kind of try some stuff that is kind of cross-genre pollination mm-hmm so that's like when, you know, Jeremy and I loved um, Les Mis and Phantom. So we started incorporating that a little bit. Our drummer, Grant, was like this classically trained so drummer who went to Berkeley yeah. who knew all this music theory and he was just incredible. And uh, Jeremy was immensely talented with that stuff, too. And, um, yeah. yeah, you know, we hooked up with the local label. Uh, they really believed in us. They were willing to put money into us mm -hmm. when, like... Um, no other labels work. Right. So we're like, you know what? We'll sign for one album. We'll do it. And that's when the real touring started. Right. That's when we're like, okay, we're buying a van. I'm what year was this? College. So 08? this was 2007, the end of 2007. Okay. So we recorded all summer in my basement. Um, uh, the burning, you know, yep. like I'm like, that was like, that was the only record where like, if you could believe it, because I, I never track my own stuff anymore. I was tracking my own guitar parts mm -hmm. with Pro Tools, mm -hmm. like in the basement at three o'clock in the morning right. in July of 2007. Yeah. So we worked around the clock um, and, and made this album. We got it mastered at Peerless Mastering in Boston. Um, they actually did Nirvana's Bleach. That was like their kind of claim uh, to fame. Yeah. And, you know, subsequently they, they mix a lot of, I'm sorry, master a lot of big records and i just remember we worked so hard like up to the last minute we go into peerless mastering and i bring in the references that i want to sound like, uh -huh. like i brought rod and he is legend and the guy listens to it, he's like this is th this is slammed and I, was like, I don't know i don't know any of the technical lingo right. uh, you know i was never the technical guy i was like i don't know what you mean it sounds awesome like, there's no dynamics. Right. Just and so compressed like, to shit. And he was like a really sweet guy. Right. Trying but to he's explain like a mastering dude. He like he's an artist. He's, yeah. he's an artist. Yeah. And like I was like trying to figure, does he say his legends and good? No, no, no. no the, the band, the arrangement's great, but it's slammed. <laughs> so I, I think I was arguing with this, not arguing, but like for Just an trying hour. to understand. And, yeah, understand. And like I was on no sleep. 
Like Jeremy, Jeremy I think, like left. He just went to sleep in the car. He's like, you, you deal with this. <laughs> so in my sort of woozy state, the guy asked me one more time. He goes, do you want this record to sound good or do you want me to slam it? And I just said, slam it. You know what's really funny about that? We, I had the same exact experience with the mastering guy for the first Venetia Fair album. Was it at Peerless? No, it was this place in New York, and we had two versions because we asked them to make one because the guy was, the guy was like, I don't want to do like a just fully compressed, slammed version that sounds big and loud. I want to have dynamic. So he made two, and he he was really bummed out that we picked the slammed one. <laughs> Because it just pumped out yeah, of the speaker, Yeah, it was just that man. sound. It was just that sound. And at the time, I was super into just Feldman shit. Right. And that had that cracky snare and like yeah. everything punched through. Yeah. It, just, it, it, it was just a more aggressive uh, mix that, that sounded like you were right up at the speaker on the best sound right, of the right. tour stage. Exactly. It made you want to jump. Right. It jumped. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, jump. So uh, you're touring here. What was like the first... What was your first national tour? So the first national tour, we released The Burning in November 2007, and the plan was, we're hitting the road. So we, brought, we bought a conversion van, which was an immensely stupid thing to do. Because I have one of those, not, too. They're not meant nope. for, to- for towing. the trailer. So we had this really dope conversion van. It's like super comfortable with these Did it have the bed that folded seat. down? Had the bed. Yeah, it was like that. super modern. Mm-hmm. had like not that many miles on it. Had a DVD player and a TV. Yeah. I could watch Weekend at Bernie's too. <laughs> and uh, about a week into the tour, like the, the van just started making terrible sounds. And like we ended up having to get it repaired and sunk a lot of money into it. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically th- from 2007. Well, what was the tour? Who were you? Was it just you it guys? It was just us booking shows. There was solo. no tour. Yeah. Solo. Sometimes we'd be playing a festival with some bands at a bowling alley. Sure, yeah. Sometimes we'd be at a What VFW. were those shows like? Like, did people know you guys because of the, the MySpace and Pure Volume stuff? We or? thought it would be more. We, th- we were like, okay, like we're getting this hype. There's going to be a lot more kids there and every once in a while like maybe one show out of like five or ten we'd be in Colleen, texas and there'd be like you know maybe 50 people in the bar and like 10 hardcore ice night kills fans with pylon singing every word where we were like man people are like they're responding to it you know right they were looking forward to it exactly so from like 2007 through like early 2009 i want to say that was our life and we would book as many shows as we could, mm-hmm. maybe take, you know, a month off. Like, it was like three months on, one month off. Right, yeah. And the days off that we had or before the shows, those were spent at malls with iPods mm-hmm. and demos, going around so to kids, funny, going up to kids that came out of Hot Topic with the fucking Devil Wears Prada shirt, pushing our band. Yeah. And, and it Red was, Blue made us do that because of you guys. Yeah, we really fucked with that. <laughs> I remember trading CDs in the food court for food. The yeah. people that worked there. I was at that Sabah. <laughs> um, and what would keep us going is that, you know, pretty frequently we'd run into a kid at the mall in Orlando or the mall in Minneapolis that was like, yeah, I know. I've got your yeah. C greatest story ever told. See right. last words. I'm like, Holy shit, it's kind of working. So it it uh it kept us going, seeing that it was starting to work. Mm-hmm. And then we became even more sophisticated about it 
and booked our tours around other prominent tours. Yeah, so I one tour, you were yeah. following stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, following, like, we followed the Taste of Chaos tour in 2008 when it was, I think it was Atreyu and uh, Avenged Sevenfold mm-hmm. and, and you know, bands that we'd end up later touring with right. and becoming friendly with, yeah. which is crazy. And we'd walk up and down the lines with, each of us had... Splitters. An iPod, yeah. splitters, and two sets of headphones mm-hmm. so we could show multiple people at a time. And that's how we survived because we weren't really getting paid for the shows. If yeah. we were getting paid, it was like gas money. So We do a lot of talk on the, on the podcast. There's a lot of talk about like the different ways that bands grind when they decide like this is what yeah. I want to do. We got to put in the time and the effort and it sucks, but you just do it. Yep. Like that is – my band and your band, Venetia Fair and Ice Nine, are the only two that at least we've had on that have actually gone out on tour with the intention of not as much playing shows, yeah. but just like getting people to even just give you 30 seconds of their time to listen to the band. And that really did, even for me, like I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now without doing that shit. And it was a pain in the ass and I hated every second of it. Of course. But like, it's true, like how... It's important, like, how much it is to, like, get your name just out in front of yeah. people, you know? and I feel like it builds character because it, 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 it... It does. You know, so many people tell you, fuck you, like, your band sucks. Oh, my and God, it's like you, you know. build thick skin, you, 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 be, you, you learn how to talk to people. But you also um, just, like, you learn the industry, too, right? Yeah. Like, you learn that, like... I remember having this realization where I was like, it's not fucking that cool that I'm in a band. Like, people here... <laughs> don't care because everyone's in a band like no one want, no one's just going to give you the time of day or like throw you a bone because there's a million other people that can when i'm at high school in school like yeah there's like two bands in the school so it's cool but <laughs> right. here like no one gives a shit everyone's in a band right yeah but i think that w- what separated our bands from from a lot of bands is that we were we were willing and down to put in that extra work right and to me uh, the band, the time, that record, the burning. Like I believed in it so much. I was like, I, I actually think that this is good. Mm-hmm. Like I think it, it's competitive with what's what's selling now. So it was that belief uh, that kept me doing that. And uh, you know, we, we'd have terrible days, you know, and then we'd have a good day where we'd sell, uh, f- you know, hundred CDs, hundred fifty CDs outside the day to remember show. Right. Like, oh shit, we've got like. Do you have a personal record? I have a personal record for one day. Well, my personal record for Warp Tour is I wouldn't stop until I sold 300 a day. You personally? Yes. Damn. That's insane. Yeah. I think I had one day where I did like 320, and that was my I mean, max. That's insane. That, but I never came anywhere near that most days. Yeah, but that's pretty insane. <laughs> there were some days I remember we, we just were burnt out, and we'd be like, just like, do 20 in the lines and let's just go. Let's just get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to Burger do King. Do a total of like 150 CDs and get the fuck out of there. And that became like a, a whole scene, but like outside of it, insane. Tour. There was, there was, and I made so many friends that I still talk to now, which is, yeah, but just like the 10 bands that were tour every year that were super dedicated. And we ended up touring with half those bands too. Like, I mean, I remember meeting Set It Off. Right. Doing that in, in the southwest or they southeast did the whole states. tour just a few I days. think they were doing just the southeast states, but that's how so, we met and ended up touring with them. And now, you know, we're close and everything. So it's just cool to see like the bands that are really dedicated do the thing and, and then continue it, yeah. to have like a career. 
And I, I remember hearing that, the, you know, that's how Mayday Parade did it. Yeah, they oh, were like built the stages. Big success story. One. Yeah. Because I remember they were, t- we, the first time we did it was 09, and they were like playing. And they were the band that everyone was like, this is why you do this. Like, right. because look at what's right. happening with them. And they're huge. Like, they're yeah. killing it still. They killed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we, we carried that on, and then we did it, uh, the entire Warp Tour in 2008, like mm-hmm. you were saying. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so we sold, and it's a, uh, ended up selling 10,000 copies of the Burning that summer. Wow. Which was insane. That's crazy. Were and you sound we, scanning? Uh, no, we no. didn't have sound scan, but like we really kind of made a name for ourselves doing that, maybe in some bad ways and in some good ways. Yeah, we always had a confliction about that. Ruffled some feathers. Yeah. <laughs> but we, just, we stayed just under Kevin's radar. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were cool with us. I remember... Um, Mark Bubb, um, who uh, owns a very successful merchandise company now, um, he was working, he was managing like Atticus at the clothing at the time, uh-huh. and he would always like let me hang under the tent, give me water. Yeah, yeah. And were it was you guys a, sneaking in every day? We were sneaking yeah. in every single day. Yeah. I, th- I don't think we ever made fake passes. We just Did you have wristbands or anything? I think maybe we were doing the wristband thing. We were trying to figure we out We were the collecting color. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. But we were just like, I think my thing was like, yeah, just as long as you roll in with confidence, yep. with a cell phone. Carry and a box. Control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So we did that. You know, there were some really hard uh, times during that summer. You know, you'd be walking around. Maybe you'd got like five rejections in a row. And then you'd hear like a, a band playing on stage. Oh, and you'd be just, like, um, yeah, so you, you know, played 08? No, we didn't play a single date. No dates. No dates. Got it. Uh, just selling and... Uh, you know, you'd get like five rejections in a row and as far as trying to sell your CD. And I had this like little backpack carrying around. So I'd be walking around like burnt, like sunburnt, you know, on like it was 30, rough. 30 days in, like rough. 110 degree. Yeah. And uh, the thing that would keep me going that summer is when I would hear real big fish playing. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd just be walking around and I'd, I'd hear sellout and be like, man, I love life now. Yeah. So it, it, it is true. That's one of those things that, like, you know, music can, can truly lift your spirit. I remember there was one day where I stopped at a signing line, and I showed someone. I didn't know what signing line it was. And yeah. I stopped and said, you guys want to check this out? And the girl put it on her head, didn't listen for more than a second, threw the headphones on the <laughs> ground, and was like, I don't like that. And I was like, oh, okay. And she goes, honestly, I don't like anyone that's not blood on the dance floor. And I was like... Fuck yourself, and I like <laughs> it like totally ruined my day. But it was a yeah. similar thing where I just whenever I got bummed out, you would just go watch bands. And she went missing that day. Yeah, she's gone. she went on their bus. Yeah, um, that's a different documentary. Yep. But, but um, yeah, yeah. So like, we did that because I thought that would get us signed. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, not just because it would get us signed. It would help the steam of the band. Yeah, it gets control. people to know yeah. you guys, all that stuff. Right? And it, it, it um, basically, I could tell that Jeremy. After that tour and like through the tour, like he really didn't like touring. He didn't like the lifestyle mm-hmm. of us living in a. I don't know why you wouldn't love living in a, a van. Oh, it's the best. It's really fun. Yeah. And um, but something great happened. Um, I was able to get uh Artery Foundation interested in us, and at the time, Artery Management was oh. like. Artery on my shirt. It's right on your shirt. There it you is. Going to work for them. Mm-hmm. They were like the the be all. They were like the Cadillac of metalcore mm-hmm. screamo management companies. Yeah. 
They managed everyone that was huge at the time. Two biggest bands at the time were Devil Wears Prada and A Day to Remember. Mm-hmm. And that was like, if you got on artery management, it was kind of like how drive through was right. to me yeah. for metalcore. It was like, it was very incestuous in terms of touring. Mm-hmm. Like they always piggybacked. And um, I remember being really frustrated with that when I was trying to break in. That no one would help you. It was just like all these bands just take out the same fucking bands and no, we yeah. have no chance because they just, right. it's all the same tour every time. They all do that. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so this guy, uh, Devin, uh, agreed to manage us. He was really excited. Um, he sent uh, the burning around, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it was like a real shot of life. Like, man, we got an artery. Yeah. Like, we're so stoked to put their logos all over our shoes right. and stuff. Like, we're on artery. And at that time, like I said, it was like a real badge of honor. Right. It was like, man, like. People cared about that stuff. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, well, Iceland kills their artery now. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I got this email, like the email that I've been waiting for, like my whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Rise wants to sign us. Rise Records at the time was huge. Every was, band in Ohio. Every band <laughs> that was popular in metal yeah. Yeah. that was not, you know, the older metal bands was on Rise. It's true. And it was like, again, it, it was, was a like big a big deal, yeah. And uh, the email said, um, congrats, like, uh, Craig is a fantastic label owner. He wants you in with Joey Sturgis, the producer. And again, at the time, Joey Sturgis was like, Cadillac yeah. producer is in there. Well, yeah, I mean, he does the yeah. the um, what does he do? The, the guitar tone. Yeah, now and, he's like a developer. Yeah, a developer. software developer. Shit. But at the time, he was a producer. He doesn't really produce anymore. I don't think he still does here and there. I think, but not as either much. way. Yeah. He's very good. Yeah, and he was a very big name. Right, especially, huge especially name. at that time. Huge name. So. It was incredible. I remember I like bought like a Rise hoodie that night. Like, oh my God, man! Like embarrassing shit. Right. And uh, you know, I told all my friends, told everyone. Like everyone was really excited. And um, it said offers coming soon. So you know, week went by, two weeks went by. Where's the offer? You know what's going on? And out of the blue, like I want to say three weeks later, I just get some weird ass email. From Artery saying that uh, offers off the table, uh, blah, 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 something with distribution. They're, you know, pulled the offer. I was like, what? What does that mean? Hmm. And I uh, called our manager, and uh, he said he didn't really know why the offer was taken off. They gave us some lip service that they found, like a, a, a video of ours on YouTube uh, promoting some merchandise, and they didn't like the merchandise or the way it was being promoted. Something weird just didn't add up okay. to me. Um. So I was crushed. Yeah. Like, it was like a big kick yeah, to the balls, sucks. man. It was like, you, you know, you work for, for you know, 10 years. Uh, to get you, that one thing. Yes. That's the goal right there. That's the goal. Artery management and rise as a label. Yeah. That's like guaranteed success. Right. Yeah. And At like that time. And you're a hockey fan. It would be like training for years and like the Bruins call you up right. to be on the team. Right. Like not in the, in the minor leagues. Right. To play you're on the participating. Bruins. And then it... And it was so funny, not funny, it was really heartbreaking, but at the time, I was watching um, the Kenny Powers show, Eastbound East and Down. Down yeah. The first season had just come out, and the last episode was pretty much that. Yeah. He thinks he's Going getting called. big leagues. Big leagues, and he gets that phone call, and it's like that music, and everyone's like smiling right. around and him because they don't fake, know. He's like, yeah. And it was like that. And... Uh, 
I remember. I Man, think what I'd, a walk of shame you have to do after that. Yeah, right? I think I you burned, probably told a bunch of people. I told everyone. I think yeah. I burned the Rise Records. Oh, God. Um, I think I wrote like a, a, a letter to Craig, the owner of Rise, like a handwritten letter, like, like you know, explain, like, we'd love to talk to you about what happened. Like, we don't know. Like, right. What do you mean? Never wrote me back. Wow. Um, so it was, it was bad. And, and then to add insult to injury, pretty much right after that, Jeremy told me that he, he, he didn't want to play music mm. anymore. So Jeremy, ultimate high to like ultimate low. Ultimate Do you low. think that was the thing that broke his spirits? No. He was just broken before that? I think it was broken before that. And that was like the icing on the cake mm-hmm. because it was like, wow, like harder than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the time, uh, Jeremy's friends were starting this like upstart company um called summit and it was like looking like it was going to be a big deal yeah he didn't and make a, a bad move no <laughs> no no no, no no um but at the time you know like jeremy and i had written everything together right he was my writing partner yeah. you know and i'd never written music with anyone else so him leaving was a real kick to the balls right and it was just like everything falling apart uh-huh. at that time so that was probably the Probably one of the roughest times uh, in the history of the band. Um, and what uh, year was this? Oh eight. So this 09? was two thousand nine. Like, I want to say winter two thousand nine. Got it. Um, and uh, you know, would it, you know, he really didn't do it in a bad way. Like he he like wanted me to join the other company with him. Mm-hmm. Like he he didn't he wanted it to. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't boy. a personal thing. No, it was just a no. different interest. No, and you know we we you know there was some weirdness there, just like there would be sure in any business breakup. Right. But you know, since then, you know, we're he still just played great. with us last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, a, he's still a great friend. I mean, he 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 uh, sang on the last album. Right, he lives not far from us, so all of that is completely water near a bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And the long story short, the band lineup kind of just fell apart. Then. Right. Um. Did you think that might have been the end there, or were you just there was no chance? Uh, there's just no chance I was gonna to give it up. I think it just goes back to the my See, like for me, I, I put myself in that situation. I just be like starting something new. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of was, something but it new. wasn't though. Like it was right, but like even for me, I'm just like I'm giving up on the name. Like I don't want to have the same baggage. Yeah, and there was clearly, you know, it probably would have been a smart move to start the name. Let's start a new name because clearly there was some sort of baggage. If the biggest label offered us a deal and then didn't, then that name gets around. I don't know. It just had this stigma. This is where it gets super interesting to me, like this whole phase of the band. And I think that that stigma, uh, the stigma that Inc. wasn't going to be a successful band ever really started right around that time. Mm -hmm. Because our name was all over the place. Because we had worked so hard and right. done the warp tour thing, yeah. a lot of but people no started biting, to know. Right. But no, but it just didn't work. I mean, I'll, dude, like with Venetia Fair, right? Like we had similar experiences with Roadrunner and Epitaph, and and it did break up the band. Right. Like it did. Like we didn't get the deal. We were pretty much handed a deal to get it taken away, and that's what killed it. Right. And we and tried what- for another year, but we were like, this band has done its course. People aren't interested. They've made it very clear. Yeah, and, you know? and, and most bands that killed, right? you know? And who, who knows what bands, if they didn't, maybe it would have yeah, worked. Yeah, I know. But, but, it makes but me think in, about it all the time. But in many cases, it was probably the right decision, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, no way to tell. 
at some point you gotta you gotta provide for your family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You gotta live with a roof. Right. <laughs> Roofs are Roofs. good. Um. So at that point, I was basically forced with the task of reforming the band. Mm-hmm. We still had Artery at the time. Right. Um. I had played uh, many shows with this band. Remember tomorrow. Uh, out of Rochester, and they, you know, I really like the guys, and we always got along. Mm-hmm. Just, they're just fun, fun guys. Um, and they just, uh, they seem to have their shit together. Yeah, you know, um, they were the first band that I knew that was, you know, not, uh, um, a regular name and like the touring scene. That I, when I saw them, I was like, they have like rock gear. Yeah, they have like in ears light show. Like they were legit. A hundred percent. But I, I think that the main thing that attracted um, me to them was that they were really hungry. Mm. They wanted mm-hmm. it. And uh, it was sort of the the opposite of what I was dealing with towards the end. Of right. Like trying to push people. Lineup, you know, you wanted people to move with you, not like yeah, you drag yeah. them along. Yeah. Um, so, you know, toured with that lineup for a couple of years there was like a little bit of weirdness in the fact that oh who are these guys mm-hmm. like like from that our have fans. all been working together for yeah, yeah right. where are they right oh, well, oh no i know what you're saying no i get it now <laughs> I, I i was saying like uh it was weird the, for fans for fans a i mean honestly bit. it was weird for me even but people didn't really after about a month people didn't really i liked it notice i liked it. it just because you know what's, what's weird about that fast. story too is remember tomorrow in venetia fair signed to red blue at the same time right right so we That's came right. in at the same time with them so we knew those guys too but then it turned into it just being ice nine so i remember being like this is weird. kind of an awkward this is weird yeah. <laughs> but um i mean it clearly worked out it worked out um uh we were still on artery we were in florida recording with tom denny from a day to remember and we were still under contract with Red Blue, mm-hmm. and um, Ferret, uh, a very cool label that Not sort of gone now, but gone now. They were but, they were the bigger, heavier. They were like the heavier version of like Rise. Exactly, yeah. they're like like more credible, yeah. like like dirtier, right? Like, you know, it wasn't uh, Attack Attack. It was every time I died. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Kill Switch. But, yeah. yeah. My most precious blood. I Boys think. Night yeah. Out, yeah, who yeah. I thought was, you know, I still think is so cool because of their pop sensibilities with super dark, mm-hmm. fucked up mm-hmm. lyrics. Um, and they wanted to do it. So it was going to be some sort of a split between Red Blue and Ferret. Long story short, I can't really get into all the details, but something happened and... Artery didn't want to be affiliated with that other label. Mm-hmm. Um, and subsequently, Ferret didn't want to. Yep. Um, and everything died. I love knowing, but knowing that neither of us can say yeah, I mean, all sorts of things about both of our situations. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a... It was fun. It was a fun one. It was a fun time. So basically, there was sort of an anchor around my neck for several years because even if a label wanted to sign us... We you were, were untouchable. Of, we were untouchable. Um, Not by your, any fault of your own, even. I mean, you know, I, I guess... It's true, though. You like be, You have to be careful about what you do yeah, in but terms as a young, of what business relationships you have. I, I don't think, like, I even look back at that time and, and I have no regrets with it because it's like, it was a necessary step. 
That's what William Hung said, too. <laughs> I have no regrets. But basically, anyone listening out there, if you're signing a contract, make sure you know what you're getting into. Right. And make sure a, a sophisticated entertainment lawyer reviews mm-hmm. said contract. Mm-hmm. Long story short, from there, you know, a couple years of tour, a few years of touring, kind of doing the same thing, a lot of hustling on the grassroots level. Ended up eventually getting our own booking agent, which was very helpful, mm-hmm. CI. Um, right, we were right, like right. instrumental in breaking August Burns Red back mm-hmm. in the day before Solid State. They stepped up, helped us get uh, tours where we were actually getting paid. Um, what was the first tour that was uh, like a legit tour package? Um, I want to say it was probably us. And I mean, how legitimate are we talking? Well, about? let's say like there was a flyer. <laughs> let's say there's a like you. Let's say there's a clear band on the bill that's bringing out the people. You know what I mean? Uh, for those years, we were almost always headlining. Oh, okay. We were the, the band. You were the band. That we weren't what bringing were their out shows a lot like? of people. Uh, some would be great. You know, uh, th- those years, um, CI really helped us build in, in, in um, markets that eventually became great markets mm-hmm. for us, like um, Harrisburg, PA, yeah. like the Lemoyne, PA. And I really credit CI with help with with what we have now mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania cuz Pennsylvania is just it's great. It's a great market and they were I can't say enough good things about CI and their work ethic mm-hmm. and they were willing to help us out and work with us when no one else would. <coughs> so, uh, you know, if we want to go into every detail it's going to take no, many no, years. No, no, let's keep going. But yeah. Basically, we were hustling and eventually I was able to attract uh, Outer Loop Management, right. who at the time, uh, they were sort of neck and neck with Artery. So was, you know, they, Artery was out of the picture at this point. Artery completely. dropped us. You were pretty much independent. That was like, a, that was like another Rise right. Records drop. Right, right, right. It was like, we got an email. We would take all of the Artery logos off of your page. Ugh. We want nothing to do with you. I was like, God damn, yeah. this is cold, right? Yeah. But, you know, in retrospect, I, I don't really hold any grudges because, you know, it's just business. Right, right. Whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will cough. Okay. Um. So. So you had the agent. You had the agent. Were independent. Well, you just got the offer for Outer Loop. Finally, after a lot of finessing, a little bit of bullshitting on my part, saying <laughs> that some other manager was going to sign us. Right. Eventually, um, uh, Mike Mowry, who is still our manager to this day, mm-hmm. uh, took a chance on us when really no one else would. And at the, at the time, as I said. Outer Loop and Artery were very similar. You yeah. Know? Uh, Outer Loop was having great success with We Came as Romans mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and many other bands that were popular. Right. They had era. some heavier stuff, too. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, he managed Refused at one point, too, mm-hmm. which is kind of like yeah. a seminal band. Um, and throughout these years, I want to say 2009 through 2011, he was really trying to get us signed. And, and the, the, <laughs> The unanimous answer across all boards, from labels to booking agents to promoters, was no. Right. Because we had this sort of stigma that had followed us around, um, partly in due to the Rise Artery thing, because those were very big entities at the time that talked to a lot of people. Right. So anytime our name was... Yeah, anytime our name... Well, not only that, there's also, like, there's always a pool of, like, the next bands to come up, right? It's like right. 50 bands that every label and management company knows about, and they're all right. like keeping their eye on. Right. 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 Keeping their tabs on us. And, you know, we weren't 
18 anymore. Right. We were, you know, the name had been around a long time and it hadn't really exploded. You know, we definitely were gaining this cult following that I, I think a lot of people weren't giving us credit for at the time because the shows were starting to be decent, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and we're starting to sell merchandise. And, um, and then the next big uh, sort of milestone is that there was this, our whole thing at this point was to get signed. We realized we couldn't get signed. Next thing was we need to be on a good tour. Right. We need to open for bands that draw. So you can play in front of people. people. Right. 1,500 people crossing our fingers. Right. And this, this um, contest presented itself uh, via Sumerian and Ash. Uh, and it, th basically the prize was to be the opener on the 2012 All-Stars Tour. Right. That was this a heavy was, tour. This was a sick tour. Yeah. Suicide Silence. They were the headliner, at the, right? At the pinnacle yeah, of their success. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, Icy Stars, Attila was starting to blow up. Mm -hmm. It was Word Alive. It was uh, Dance Gavin Dance, I think. huge tour. It was a great tour, and especially All then. All day to thing, us. too, right? All day festival. Every day. This was 2012. So I looked at it as like, there is no fucking way we're not going to win this. Right. It was an online voting thing. And I hustled so hard. Like, I'm talking, it was all computer voting. Like, I went around to libraries. I voted on every single computer. You, I remember you hitting me up. Yeah. And saying, hey, can you vote? Tell all your friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just, like, so embarrassingly optimistic mm -hmm. and annoying. <laughs> um, I mean, I remember going around. I was in Rochester at the time. And, like, like going into the, the school. And like knocking on dormitory doors, being like, "Hey, we're a local band." That's crazy. Area, vote for us. So, and we we had like really funny memes at the time, and it was between us and Capture the Crown. Like those are the two. Oh, really? Oh, and basically, long story short, I think it was pretty comparable about who got the most votes, and there was like some controversy about the voting. Anyway, I have to give it to to Ash. Because he, he was the one who's like Ink One. Ash owned Sumerian, and he was the one that, that ran the All Stars tour. And I think he really saw the hustle. Right. And so we won that, and it was like, man, this is insane. Yeah. We're going to be opening on the All Stars tour. And those are big rooms. I mean, for, for at the time. I mean, there were big rooms. Yeah. I mean, didn't, yeah. didn't that play Palladium? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's like, a, you know, that's like, a huge yeah. room. Yes. It's one of the bigger clubs in the country. Yes. It was a big tour, especially for us at that time. And it was uh, game-changing. It was the best tour we ever did. There were people that, even though we were playing first, we were playing for in front of hundreds and hundreds of kids, sometimes maybe a 1,000 mm -hmm. early on in the day. And I said, from the very beginning, I was like, they're going to remember us on this tour. Mm -hmm. We're going to outsell everyone. And in most days, we outsold most of the bands. That's crazy. Because we hustled the fuck out of it. And... People started to talk. Did the bands like, take notice? Like the bands took notice, and some of the bands were like, I remember one band was like, like a couple weeks in the tour, like we weren't sure about you guys. Like we didn't really believe what we were hearing about you selling that much. We thought you guys were lying. Uh -huh. And they're like, but man, respect to you. Yeah, because we were out there. You know these. You're guys, working. You're staying at the merch working. table yeah. all night. Yeah. All these other bands had like the marquee labels. Right. Were unsigned. Right. They had the managers. And we were busting our ass. Yeah, you were taking advantage of the situation. And I remember, like, one of the first days of the tour, the guy who comes over and f sees how much you've sold because mm -hmm. they have to take a cut for the venue. And uh, he said, what would you guys do tonight? Looking at his clipboard. Uh, 1,500 soft. 
He paused. He goes, what? <laughs> no one believed we were doing this. And I think even one day, I think it was at in PA at the Crock Rock. Mm-hmm. I think we sold more than Suicide Silence. That's crazy. And so, like, for we, we had well, that this was your market, right? Yeah. yeah. I, but I don't know. I mean, we were just hustling all day. Like, I was at the merch table um, all day with our drummer, Connor. Mm-hmm. And we were just, we wouldn't give up. Yeah. And I think people started to notice How long that. was that tour? It was probably like a month. Yeah. month and a half. And uh, what time is it, by the way? One twenty-five. Nice. Um, and so that, that project that, that that was the catalyst to get you into the the next thing. Yes. Yeah. And then we got. Um, Did we got you start consistently getting offered tours after that, or was no, there? No, I mean period? it was. There was definitely a down period where we were getting better offers. They weren't as good as that. Like we were stoked to go out with Norma Jean because yeah, that's I mean, a name band. Um, influential bands, but you were like, like at the next tier where like, like there's close. there's tours being put together by yes. someone that's not directly with you, right? With bands that had their own teams. Yes. So it was more of a professional thing than just like a bunch of people getting in vans and showing up at the same place. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 I'll mention like 2010. Um, Kevin Lyman was very cool. He gave us like five days. Right, of a I tour, remember that. Yep. And we killed it. Mm-hmm. Like we had like pretty big crowds yeah. considering we were a small band. I watched, I think, every day of that. Because <laughs> that oh, was when awesome. we were right, hustling. The same year. We were selling. You were selling. Yep. yep. We were selling, you guys were playing. And uh it it was uh it was cool. Um we thought that maybe the heat of the All Stars, like the perception would start to change mm-hmm. label wise. Didn't really change. Um, but you're well it did in the in the sense that the industry was more open to you like being a part of it even a little bit but but we had to win our way on sure and so the next phase the label still rejected all of us but outer loop and mike uh this is safe as just a shadow days right yep yeah like post a little bit post right right uh post safe but yeah right after it he was able to strike up a deal for his own record company that was going to be distributed and sort of backed by Fearless. Right. Um, and we took the deal. There's a few bands, right, off the bat. We were the first one, but there was another chasing, band, Youth and Revolt, safety. Chasing Safety, chasing safety yeah. a couple other ones, but we were the, the flagship one. And we thought, hey, you know, maybe this is our way into Fearless eventually. Right. You know, because there was like some sort of upstream clause. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we put out a record called The Predator Becomes the Prey. And it was the first real label. Release. Right. Yeah. You know, it had some distribution when distribution in stores was a thing. You know, it was at Best Buy. Yeah. And I think that was a time. I feel like you guys even reinvented or like solidified the, the tone of the band with that. Close to it, I think closer. Yeah, like closer. it definitely evolved from there, but like it was better. Well, I felt better. it felt more like you were settling into it. Yeah, you know what I mean. I agree with that. I I also think that we were still a little bit too concerned about what other bands were doing and whether we were heavy enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was like I um, that was like the last record where I felt like that was the. The thing. Right. Like we were there were definitely more, really heavy parts on that. <laughs> there were really heavy parts. I just felt like we were, it was too safe. Uh-huh. Not safe, it's just a shadow. It's right, just right. too, like, whatever. Like, 
breakdown. Yeah, yeah, it's just like whatever. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't some, think it's a some bad great tunes record. on that album. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and uh, in between that cycle and what would be our next one, we released uh, a song called "Me Myself and Hide," and I think that was the real turning point for the sound right that's when it was like theatrical it had all those elements in it we sort of went back and touched on some stuff that we did in greatest story right yeah embraced uh the weirdness more we embraced the theater and that was the first song that i ever wrote that was based on a literature or a movie or something that was not uh uh, just fabrication yeah exactly fabrication or real life event we released that song i remember when we like we're putting it together it was weird and and like i remember jd was like that you know you're just like kind of like talking over this verse like it's weird it's like that's kind of what it's supposed to be right it's supposed to be like this manic thing yeah and it ended up going over really well like people were like this is kind of weird and different and cool right and very soon after the release of that track we got a call from fearless saying that they want to put out our next record and like we were like you know in best case scenario, I think what year was this? So this would have been two thousand fifteen yeah. or something. Um, but at this point, would you have said that you guys were kind of? I don't want to say like a main like a household name in the scene, but you had you you were in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I right? think like, we were doing okay. I mean, I th- I think the record came out and it did like. 2,500 copies first week, yeah. which isn't bad. No, that's pretty good. Like, you know, I, I just remember like around that. Band. Right, right. I remember around that time playing shows with you guys where you were headlining, and there was still, like, 150 kids, yeah. 200 yeah, I mean, kids. Yeah, definitely in lo- which the local at the, area. Dude, at, at that time, I was like, this is all I want. Right, right. right. So they just want 150 people to consistently show up to my shows. That's right. You know? I mean, that, that was the dream for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, we started, you know, like bands that were cool to us. I remember Attila was really cool to us. Mm-hmm. Icy Stars, mm-hmm. Motionless and White, Like Moss to Flames. Like all those bands took us out when every other band said they're lame. Right. Like this is gimmick bullshit. Yeah. Like, we don't want it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> uh, but I definitely do remember the bands that were cool to us. Right. Uh, Color Morale took us out, Norma Jean, um, and basically, um, so you got the Fearless deal. Got the Fearless deal, and I said to myself, wow, me, myself, and Hyde work well writing something about a book. Let's just do it yeah. for the whole album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember like Morrow and some of the other, like, eh, I don't know about that. It's a little bit much. I was like, no. Nah. I mean, I understand the hesitation. Right, you know? right. It, I mean, I think even my, uh, even maybe my parents or, or friends were like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's like a little crazy. And uh, I mean, I, I've always liked stuff that was based on even yeah. loosely stuff like that. But I understand it being like, it's not a standard move at all. No, I mean, I can't weird. think of really anyone that's done that. At least Before to that, that extent. Yeah, yeah. That they in made depth. It their band. Right, yeah. right. So I, I, I guess it was a chance, and it ended up working out. Every trick in the book, I thought, was the, was the best album we put out at that point. Um, the videos started to do really well. We yeah. started working with really great directors, and the record came out, and it did like 7,400 copies Crazy. first week, which at the time was like, 
that's pretty good. Yeah, like that's, that's like really better good. than pretty good. It was like I mean, you talk about selling ten thousand copies of The Burning and an right. entire summer right. working your ass off, this and to be able week. to do seventy five hundred in a week without yes. leaving your couch. Right. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. And 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 obviously the climate has changed drastically in terms of what record sales mean mm-hmm. in the industry eyes and what how numbers are calculated. Yeah. But at the time that was I think that was mainly physical and digital. The streaming wasn't really yeah, they that. Didn't count like it. Spotify I don't think was like No, that wasn't Billboard. They didn't count that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was still being uh figured out. Right. So every trick in the book came out and it started to uh, elevate the band. Right. Like, but really, elevation in terms of, wow, there are p- people are coming out to see us now. You're establishing yeah. yourself. Yes. Yeah. Like, there may be, be a show where, like, outside of our local area, like, man, my 400 kids are here. Right. Well, Something. this was the time I'd be, I remember seeing Ice Nine, right, and seeing it on a bill and, and having an an idea of how big the band was and then going to see you guys play. Cause I would always come through whenever you guys right, were right, touring right. through and be like, this band is out drawing like the two bands build above them on these tours. <laughs> right, like consistently, right. yeah. like almost every tour I would see you were, you were a main draw on the tour and the tours were getting bigger as it was going too. you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it was exciting, but at the time still, there was this stigma that followed right. you. Mm-hmm. There was a stigma that, it didn't really matter how many records we sold. It didn't really matter how much merch we were selling or how many kids we were drawing. There was this vibe in the industry. It's like, man, Ice Nine, like that's washed no, up. That band, that, yeah, they're washed toast. up. They're, they're toast. Like, no, I don't want to hear it. They're not sell, They're not doing that. Yeah. And it pissed me off. Uh, understandably, it, it pissed me off. Um, bands wouldn't take us out. Mm-hmm. Bands were taking out bands that um, cool were haircuts. I mean, I don't know. Just bands that <laughs> bands that I maybe I liked or right, I was right, friends right, with, right. but ba- bands that maybe didn't w- deserve w- it as much or wouldn't, w- wouldn't draw as many. Kids yeah, you would contribute more yes. to the tour than they would. Yes. So you and knew it was about a like a coolness thing or like a, a popularity thing. contest yeah. in the industry. And it it pissed me off, and I thought we we were being overlooked, and I think that was, and maybe I was kind of fooling myself, but going into right the silver scream or starting to think about it. I was kind of burned out. I was kind of like, I was kind of like, I'm going to give it one more shot. Like we're doing well. Well, I remember actually sitting down with you at a diner like two years ago, maybe three years ago. And you being like, I mean, I love doing this, but like, I don't know, man. (laughs) I just remember you have, like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do it. Like I love it, but like, it is really discouraging the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Somewhere in Beverly or Salem. It was in Salem. Salem Diner. Uh, yep. R.I.P. Still there. <laughs> Still, there. Still there. Still yep. there. Um, and I think it was, it was coming to a head because, you know, at some point, you, you need money to survive. Yeah. Um, I mean, the older you get, right, the scarier it is to be in a band. Cause and you, the harder. Way harder. Yeah. Because you start to have real responsibilities. Right. And, you know, I felt like we had paid our dues long overdue you know slept on a on a van um bench seat right. for 10 years in a walmart parking lot and i'm not saying oh man it was the worst thing like no, people those are way best, worse i have best stories right. from that time but and that's the re- and, and those are the reasons why i appreciate being able to do it and tour in a bus 100%. because we spent so many time to- so much time living off the right. off the floor right. and i wouldn't trade it for anything because 
I don't think I would re- appreciate it if I was one of those bands that gets a bus. Well, I also story. think like there's it's part of the reason that the band is as successful as it, as it is now, right? Resilience. You understand like what every other band on the tour is going through, right? right. Like you know how hard the opener's working because you've been there, right? And you can offer like even even as a performer, I feel like just having those years of struggle, right? And like giving a show to 15 people, like you're playing in front of 2000 people, right? Like that's all training in my eyes for when you're on the big stage, right? hundred percent. Yeah. It it gives you the tools to operate successfully if you get to that. Right. Um, And uh, I probably was just, even when I was talking to you, I was probably bullshitting kind of. Oh, I'm sure. Like like bullshitting in terms of like, I'm not going to give it up. I'm no, I know. Yeah. Up, but there was yeah. still that part of me that like wanted to see I mean, that. even when I did give it up, yeah. there was a part of me that was like, this is, I'm not yeah, ready to do this. I know. know. And it's like, I don't know if I ever would have given it up. And uh, so it seemed like the, the right move was to do songs about movies. You know, we did it about books and everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. And, and you have such like a personal relationship with, with that Christ. Stuff. With, with oh Christ. yes, yeah, a personal relationship <laughs> with film. And I was seeing kids wanted that. Like, oh man, what would it be like if they did a song about Jason or Michael? And I wanted to do it. And I remember again yeah. a lot of people uh, saying, "Yeah, well, yeah, you did books. Like, you maybe do movies. Like, cup in a couple albums. Like, nah, yeah, I'm gonna do it now." And. Uh, <laughs> For whatever reason, you know, horror has always been a big thing for me, but it's one of my biggest passions. And Did I you know, that, though, like when you came up with that idea? Because I have to imagine there was some idea where you were like, I know how big, like, you know, you knew how big you were into horror, right? Yes. And, and you must have known that other people were too. Yeah. Right. And so did you know that if you were to theme shit around it, that those people would just latch on? Or was there still like, a risk there for you. I definitely risk. I definitely, you know, it wasn't some crazy like business calculated decision. It was just like this is what I, I like. love. The book thing worked. People seem to respond mm-hmm. to it. Movies are more popular because you know I don't even know how to read. Right. <laughs> um. And this is just gonna be fun, man. Right. Like this is gonna you get be to just write really about fun. shit you love. Yes. Yeah. And uh, it's so funny to me, like. It's always funny, and I've de- developed thick skin over the years, and kind of just laugh at the criticism now. But when people are like, "Oh, that band's so cheesy," he's like, "Yeah, no shit." Yeah, it's that's supposed to be. That's what I love. Right. I love cheesy horror movies. Right. And if you're gonna say that, you're never gonna get it. right. Um, and it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be campy. Yeah. And yes, there are there are parts where it's scary and it's it's uh, not campy. But, you know, th- that runs the gambit of horror films. Right. You know, The Shining isn't really... Not funny. Not funny. Right. I mean, there are funny parts that aren't supposed to be funny. Right, maybe right, right. sick people like me. Right. But it's not but, Scream. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Right. So, um, are also like, oh, man, why don't you come up with your own stories? It's like, to me, I look at the band as like when a, f- when a great book is adapted to a, a cool film. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just trying to change the media, like presenting that story in a different medium well what's also uh, cool about the way and i remember thinking this when you when the album came out was that you were taking the story and telling it from a point of view 
right. which was different, right? Like even from the villain's point of view or whatever, and where they're speaking, I, I yeah. you know, it's just different. So yeah, that's what we tried to do and and tried to keep it fresh. And I, I thought people would dig it because I know there was this this horror sort of Comic Con culture, but I did not think it was going to change the band, like change yeah. the trajectory that much. Um, and I'm so glad and so uh, thankful that there are so many cool people out there that get yeah. it and love it. And it's it's so, it not sound like lame, but it's so rewarding to see families come to the shows and like the the 40-year-old the parents just are loving, appreciating yeah. it just as much as the little kid dressed as Georgie. Right, right. And it's not like they're bringing this kid and dressing him up against his will. It's like that little kid's singing the words. Right. Uh, um, crazy. So it's great to see. Yeah, and, uh, and I don't think it's like I. I do think you gotta also acknowledge even that. Like, it, yes, yes, the horror thing helped a lot, but that Silver Scream is like it's really well written. You well, know, thank you. So like, there is you can still see the band progressing through each album yes. too. You know, like that had to be part of it as well. It's not well, just the horror that. thing. I think I think you're right, and and thank you for saying that. I think the with when people say gimmicks or that that's some that extra je ne sais quoi that brings people to a certain movie. Mm-hmm. It's like there's something that gets them in the door. Right. And if it's good product, they'll stay. Then, then they'll stay. Right. So, yeah. you know, that uh, I'm, I'm glad that it was a combination of that. And, uh, you know, we just launched this new app, Psychos Only Club. Right. And uh, just a few days ago, and to see the community, the forum. It's insane. And it's really cool because. It constantly surprises me. It's insane. Yeah. And it's also so cool to see that our fans are awesome because I know there are some fandoms of some bands uh, that seem like toxic. Like right. everyone's like angry with each other. And all these, these kids are here because they just love horror and they love heavy music. Right. And uh, it's great to see. And it's also, I mean, I feel I'm super thankful to even be in a band that's like has a personality too. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. every. Like, the fans like the band members. They like the band. They like the lore around the band. And yeah. they like the, what the band is about, too. It's not just like, you know what I mean? It feels yeah. more of a community than just like, I like that song. Right, right, right. You know? It's like a, it's like a, a, a kind of like a, a fun movement. Not right. to put more gravity to it than, it than it should have. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's fun. It's fandom, right. and it's like creating a fun world that... You know, I'm not saying changes lives, but it gives uh, someone a distraction from from the ordinary, you know, bummers of life. For sure. To put it in a great way. So I think that kind of brings us up to at least around right, present right. day Ice Nine. Let's talk just briefly, uh, as much as you want to divulge, like what would be, what's next? Oh, okay. So Obviously, kind of a big question mark. Right. And I don't want to give away really anything right but um you know a lot of people asking is there going to be a sequel to the silver scream uh and and in true horror fashion there's usually a sequel Mm -hmm. but um i think uh we're still figuring out exactly what that means and if if that's exactly what's going to happen but there will be blood right Yeah. yeah Um, and we have nothing lined up for i mean the only date that we have on the books right now is is slam dunk, dunk next which year is next summer hoping that fingers happens crossed. fingers crossed um 
to get back out on the road because yeah. I miss it so much. It's the most. I, this is the longest I've ever been home. I think since you know in the last six or seven years. Yeah. I can't remember a, an, another time I, I was off from playing shows for seven months. It's crazy. No. It's the longest I've gone without playing a show, even yeah. when I wasn't in a band. Yeah. Because I would just play with people or whatever. Yeah. Crazy. Um, all right, cool. So let's um, just real quickly, this is how we wrap up every episode. Yeah. Um, let's go through a, uh, do you have any like memorable tour stories that are particularly funny? Memorable tour stories. Uh, the one that comes to mind, I don't know how funny it is, but it's kind of crazy. That's fine. We were playing in Panama City. This is probably, I want to say, like 2009, 2010, back in the days where we're, you know, playing for no money. And, uh, you know, you'd be lucky to get a cool weekend show where there's like 50, 75 kids. Right, there, right, maybe. right. And um, while we were playing, uh, the, the venue was on like this corner and it was like two sort of glass windows. So people could see in. So people could see in from from both uh, sides of that point of the corner. Mm -hmm. And a car drove into the venue. Are you serious? Yeah, a car drove (laughs) into the venue and then backed up and then took off. No one luckily was hurt, but apparently this guy was like trying to run over one of their friends that did something. At the show? At the show. So he was trying to go into the venue to hit someone? I think he was trying to get the person that was standing outside on the corner. Oh, okay. Like smoking a cigarette. So this or dude was just trying to run someone. He was trying over. to kill someone. Holy and, shit! Uh, drove into the venue. Oh my god! It was pretty cool. That's nuts. No one died. Um, Did the show stop? I think it stopped for a bit. Yeah. It cleared and then the you glass. Kept going? Cleared the glass out. Was there just a um, huge hole in the building? There was a huge hole. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, the other one we were playing at. Uh, in Connecticut at, man, what is that small place in Connecticut? Is it the Danbury Theater or no, whatever? No, not Danbury Theater. Um, What's the other place? It's like almost Codes. like a... No, this is smaller. smaller. It's pretty close to New Haven, I think. Oh, um, we played there ballroom on the safest, or something? No, or? we played there on the Safe is Just a Shadow Tour. Um, anyway, whatever place it was, um, this was actually scary. One of our fans had an epileptic seizure Oof. in the middle of the set. And I've had that experience. You have epilepsy? No, I've. Oh, no, yeah. My old band, someone had an, ep, uh, had an epileptic seizure. Epileptic? Ep- apoplectic. And that's why we don't do, we don't do tours with epileptic. Right. Drugs. And now we, that's why we don't use lights. We, we don't only use play lights in at pitch all. black. We play with candles. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> glad that cool person look. didn't die. He's all right. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's, I think that's the craziest. Yeah, that's story. wild. I remember that when, when we did it, we didn't know. And so yeah. we just kept playing, and the lights kept, kept flashing. <laughs> like, this kid really likes it. was at, like, it. a 90-cap club, too. And Jesus. so there was no escaping it either. It was bad. Holy shit. All right, dude. Well, listen, thank you for coming on. I, it's been a—I um, want to say it's overdue, but I think we waited the right amount of time we for did, it. We did, and I think um, great things happen to those who wait. Indeed. Uh, and thank you for everyone that's watching live as well. This is the first time we've done a live stream during the interview and this will be posted in a couple of days as well online so yeah uh all right dude anything you want to leave us with any uh where can people find you any news you want to share anything like that not really okay just uh, stay safe and uh wear a mask yeah like we're doing right now indeed all right, all right. thanks dude
See ya. Getting ready for bed at a regular time is one of the most important habits you can learn. David has probably never stopped to think what a wonderful thing sleep is. Dreams are normal too. Going to bed at a regular time each night makes it easier for you to go right off to sleep. Rest your head, his I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.